Romans chapter 12 this morning, we're going to look at a couple of verses here as we continue our journey through the book of Romans. In this section of the book of Romans, we're studying some character traits for Christians. Last week, we studied the first, the fundamental, the foundational characteristic, something that's first on all lists, and that is love. We saw in verse 9 of Romans chapter 12 that it was a divine love and God said, let love be without hypocrisy. You know, and I think we as Christians, we need to be reminded that our lives should be lived in an atmosphere of agape love. And in that first love for the Lord and from the Lord, I think everything else flows. You know, when you get your horizontal relationships all messed up, it's probably because your vertical relationship isn't right. You know, if you find yourself here and maybe you're struggling with uh, people at work or maybe it's a family member, maybe it's even your own spouse and you just can't find that joy, you can't find that peace inside, chances are that you're not right with God. And that's why it's so important first to have that love for God so then that love can flow out and to others and it's kind of cool the way we see here in verse 9 and verse 10 again verse 9 says let love be without hypocrisy but then notice what it says in verse 10 it says be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another you see first in verse 9 paul uses the word agape and then in verse 10 paul uses some other greek words for Love. He uses the word phileo. He uses the, words, uses the word storge. As a matter of fact, it's a combination of words, philostorgos and philadelphia. And what they are, they are in reference to family love and to brotherly love. And we see as we go through our life, and we're going to see as we go through this text, how important it is to understand that even as we come to church service, that we are with the family. We are here with the family of God and there needs to be a love in this place. There needs to be an atmosphere of agape love. There needs to be a bond of brotherly love. And what the Lord is telling us as we're looking at the characteristics of what it really means to be a Christian is that as believers, we are family. He is our father. That is your brother. She is your sister. And there should be a love in this family. The Bible says we are to love the brethren. And some versions say be devoted to one another. One translation says let us have real warm affection for one another as between brothers. Hebrews 13.1 says let brotherly love continue. You know, and perhaps in one sense, the love of verse 9 is directed more towards God and the love of verse 10 now is directed more towards one another. You know, and I just think it's so cool, you guys, for us to be able to stop and to be able to meditate on the fact that as Christians, one of our primary objectives is really to understand that we are part of a family. And that in this family right here, we are to love one another. It's kind of interesting. This is something that was sort of unique to Christianity. Now, prior to this, the Jews had the idea that were, they were all brothers. And the concept was familiar to other groups. The Essenes knew this. The religious uh, societies knew this. But the idea of brotherly love in such groups was not found anywhere until Christianity came along. 
And it's so cool what the Lord teaches us. Leon Morris said, Paul is underlying the truth that Christians are members of one family and that accordingly they should have a warm and fervent love for one another. They should be a family, not only in a formal sense, but in the sense that is marked by a love not seen anywhere else. I mean, you know, when I go home and I'm with my family, when I go home and I'm with my wife and my children, man, it's so cool. I don't know if you guys feel it. I don't know if you have it. I hope you do. I know not everyone does. I was talking to a young man this last week, and he told me he's never, ever felt love at his house. And I just prayed that would never be you. That when you go home, there would be love. That you'd be squeezing your children until toothpaste comes out. That you would be, you know, loving your wife. I mean, there would just be so much of that there, that family love that belongs. But then we see that the Lord gives us that illustration. He says, hey, it's supposed to be the same in the church as well. That we are a family, you guys. That he is our father. That this is my brother. And she is my sister. And God says you need to have love for one another. You know, Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 1, 22. He says, since you've purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Every single one you see that, you know, knows the Lord. There is a special family connection there that God says, I I want you to love them. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. You know, I encourage you guys to love each other as if you're part of the same family because you are. You know, I know I've mentioned to you guys a few times that, you know, myself, I grew up as an only child. And so I don't know really what it's have, like to have a biological brother or a biological sister. But I have watched some faithful families. And when I think of family love or brotherly love, ideally, I see people who care to the core. There's some of you here, and I won't mention any names But you love your brother, and I've seen it, your biological brother, and you love your sister, and you've gone, you know, to the ends of the earth for them because you care to the core. And God says, well, that's the way it's supposed to be in the church. There is a special connection that really does last throughout life on earth and will even be carried over into our home in heaven. You know, well, brothers and sisters, you know, you, you, you can't get rid of them, man. They're there. I mean, sometimes you try and, you know, you know we're going to talk a little bit about that in just a second, you know. But they're still your brother. They're still your sister. And a lot of times when everyone else abandons you and all your friends turn away from you, there's your brother, there's your sister. Why? Because there's that, there's that blood connection. And I think in the church it's that way. Sometimes it's even stronger, but we need to remember this. You know, family should really be there for one another. I like what it says in Proverbs seventeen seventeen. It says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. See, that's what brothers do. See, that's what sisters do. 
A brother is there for you. And this type of connection in the family, a real brother is going to be somebody who is there for you. When you call them up, they answer the phone and they talk. And that's really what God wants. It's such a basic truth that Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. I mean, it's so basic. The, Paul says, it's almost like I don't even have to say this. You guys know this. God speaks to you and he tells you that you're supposed to have this love for one another. You know, it's a basic biblical truth, but very often it's neglected and even rejected. Why? Because we get caught up in the ways of this world, a world that teaches us that only love those who love you. And that's why we have to be so careful because that's not the way it works. We just need to love even those people we don't like in simple obedience to the command of Jesus Christ. And if you do that, your life will change. You see, just to love. That's what God wants. You know, you've probably heard the story from the newspaper columnist and minister. His name is George Crane. And he tells of a wife that came into his office one day and she was full of hatred towards her husband. She said, I want to get rid of him. I don't just want to get rid of him, she said. I want to hurt him before I divorce him. And so Dr. Crane suggested a plan. He said, okay, well, if you want to you hurt him, this is what you do. Go home and act as if you really love him. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait you see. Go out of your way to be kind and considerate and as generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe that you love him. And then after you've convinced him of your undying love and that you can't live without him, then drop the bomb and tell him that you're getting a divorce, okay? That, that will really hurt him. And so with revenge in her eyes, she was pretty happy about that. She smiled. She said, that'll get him good. And so... She went out, she went home, and she did it with enthusiasm. She acted as if she really loved him. And for two months, she showed that love through acts of kindness and listening and giving and reinforcing and sharing. And so when she didn't return, Dr. Crane called her and asked her, are you ready for the bomb, the the devastation of divorce? To which she replied, divorce? Never. I have discovered what true love is. And I really do now love my husband. You see, things happen, you guys, when we do things God's way. And we need to renew our mind with the truth that loving and liking are two different things. That God commands us to love others, not like others. But then it's so amazing because when we begin to do the things that God asks us to do, those actions begin to change our own attitude. And that type of love from heaven will change your heart. You see, you love and you do those acts of kindness. And you walk in obedience to the Lord. 
and you will fulfill the law of the Lord. Paul says in verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And then he says this, in honor, giving preference to one another. Notice what we read here. Paul says to give preference to one another. The NIV says, honor one another above yourselves. And you know, I believe this is such a huge part of love that we've been speaking about, you know, to really, truly, actually put others before yourself. You let them have the last slice of coconut pie, right? You let them have the last chocolate chip cookie. You know, you let them be first in line. You let them choose where to dine. You put them before yourself. You know, to honor others above yourself means that you live in this nation of consideration where it's not just a nation of self-exaltation where all you think about is yourself. You're thinking about them. Not that you necessarily relinquish your God-given position or responsibility, but you use that position and you realize your responsibility is to bless and to meet the needs of others and not yourself. You know, you probably heard it said that humility is thinking less of yourself. No, humility is thinking not of yourself. And this is what Christians do. Love without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. You love within this family and you put others before yourself. You see, that's the way the conduct and the character of Christians should be. And that's why it's kind of cool to slow down and just to meditate on these things and really examine our life. Is this you? If not, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God can change our life. You know, you've probably heard it said that humility is thinking less of yourself, but it's actually thinking not of self. We need to know that God is totally others-oriented. You know, this nation of consideration is really the kingdom of our king, Uh, I think a really good cross-reference is over in Philippians chapter 2, if you want to turn there. Because this right here is so important for us, and I think it'll help us in so many ways. Philippians 2, notice what it says in verse 3. Paul says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. We see two things here. We see estimation and we see consideration. The first thing is the estimation of others. How do you see others? How do you really see them? Are you better than them? Is that the way you see people? Or are they better than you? According to the scriptures, when you look at other people, you are to esteem others better than yourself. It's amazing. You know, sometimes we hear people complain about other Christians. Hey, they think they're better than I am. They do. Agree with them. (laughs) Yeah, you think you're better than me. Yeah, you know what? You are. (laughs) I esteem you better than myself. It's so cool. God says in his word, esteem others better than yourself. Yeah, you know what? I can totally understand why they would like them more than me. Why they would think that they're a better person than I am. Because they're a better teacher. They're a better preacher. They're a better 
maker. They're a better baker. They're a better brother. They're a better other. To the very letter, they are better. I agree with you because that's biblical. That's what God wants us to think. So many times I think we get everything backwards and we only love those whom we like. And we're living life really trying to be better than anyone else and everyone else. And God is saying, no, you got it, you got it all backwards. Love everyone, even those you don't like. And, and you know what? Esteem others better than yourself. That's the way you should approach life. In honor, giving preference to one another. And that affects the estimation of others, which then affects the consideration of others again notice what we read here in verse 4 let each of you look out not only for his own interests but also for the interests of others now the greek word for look is the greek word skopeo and we get our english word microscope telescope from this greek word which means to look at observe contemplate mark it means to fix one eyes upon it means to direct one's attention to And we are called as saints to scope out, to direct our attention, to fix our eyes upon the interests of others. It's so cool. The Lord tells us how to live. Wow. How can I bless that person, Lord? And what would place a smile on that sister's face? Show me, Lord. And as you pray, you wonder what makes him tick what makes her click what does he like to read what does she need at this point in her life and you begin to consider others and we begin now to do what christians are called to do to love one another and to give preference to one another man whatever you do and i think one of the things that grieves god's heart and i know because it grieves my heart is sometimes i see christians who are competing with each other and not completing each other, which is God called. Well, that's what God calls us to do. It's crazy. You know, I remember one time uh, Pastor Jim told me about when they first started Calvary Chapel West Covina. He said that they uh, they had a couple of guys on staff that had that mentality. It was like a competing mentality, and they would literally, you know, keep track of who sold the most CDs after the Bible study. How many did you say, oh, I sold more than you? And I just thought, man, how could God use these guys? (laughs) Do you know? It's crazy. I mean, that is garbage. It really is, you guys. We should be completing each other. Know you first. Know you first. You know what? Know you first. And then, man, when we have that heart, God is going to bless in a way that we will, man, we won't even begin to understand. If you go back to Romans We see this last verse here. Because I think at this point in the process, God says something very important. He says, and whatever you do, don't just do these things casually. Don't just do these things lightly. I want you to do these things passionately. I want you to do these things wholeheartedly. Because notice what he says in verse 11. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And in this verse right here, we have the negative, the positive, and the distinctive. Number one, the negative, not lagging in diligence. Don't do that. Don't lag in diligence. Number two, the positive, fervent in spirit. You're fervently doing these things. And number three, the distinctive, 
Who are you serving? You are serving the Lord. Well, Manny said to do that. No, it's not Manny. You, you don't serve a church pastor or elder in that sense. You have to kind of trace it to the root. It's so important that you go to the root. Who do you serve? Because if you serve anyone other at the root than God, you will find yourself with a root of bitterness. Why? Because man always lets you down. Always. I don't care who they are. They will always let you down somehow, some way. Why? Because they're just a man. The best of men are men at best. Who do you serve? You serve the Lord. See, it's so important that we don't ever forget that. You know, some see in looking at this verse right here, the what, the how, and the why. The what is that we are to do these things passionately, earnestly, zealously, and diligently. When you love, don't be one of those people who only loves halfway. You know, I'm serious, man. Just, just shower them with love. I don't know if you guys have ever been in situations where, you know, an individual comes to you and they, you know, they've done things wrong. And so you're thinking, okay, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to love them, you know. And you kind of, you know, you give them a half slice of love and you think that you're doing something good when in all reality you are doing something bad. When you love them, love them fervently, love them passionately, love them diligently, love them zealously so that they can look at you and they can say, wow, God is awesome. God blows my mind. Love them the way God loves you. That's the what. How how do we do this? Well, we do it by the Spirit. Where he says fervent in spirit, we're not even really sure if it's supposed to be with a small s or a big s. It might be the big s, and that means by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to do these things. You know, one of the things that I think can be very frustrating for us as a Christian is to hear a lot of things like you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to do this and all these things without really hearing and understanding with each and every message that we can only do these things as we yield ourselves to the Lord. And as we allow the Lord to take over, he will do the work through you. He will make you that man. He will make you that woman. The Lord will do a work. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not by determination. You hear a study and you're like, hey, man, I'm going to go do it, you know? And then God says, you ain't going to do it. <laughs> You got no strength. You have no gas. You have absolute, You are out of juice. That happened at the fall. The only way you're going to do it is if you, not by determination, by dependence, by totally trusting in Him. See, it's the what, it's the how, it's the why. The reason is because we are serving the Lord. We are not serving ourselves. We are not serving man. We are serving the Lord. May God help us, you guys, not to be lazy in zeal and intensity. God help us to be zealous with knowledge. God help us to know that whatever is worth doing in the Lord's service is worth doing with enthusiasm and care. I mean, you know what? Even when you go to your job and you're there and whatever it is that you're doing, you're digging a hole. Okay? You dig a hole with joy. (laughs) 
You go, and I remember when I used to work at the market and wake up early and I'd be slicing the onions and the watermelon and stuff like that. And you see different people at your jobs and you see some, and you can tell just by looking at their face, they don't like to be here. They don't want to be here. They do, on the other hand. And when God looks at you and all the things that you're doing, man, you know, do it with enthusiasm. Do it with passion. Do it with zeal. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever you have, your hand finds to do, do it with your might. And Proverbs 18.9 says, He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. You see, you guys, this verse right here tells us all these things that we do, we want to do it with a heart that shows we're on fire. You know, is that how you're serving the Lord? If I can ask you this morning, are you going like full bore with this uh, 110% intensity? I pray that would be your heart because I know God honors that. He really does. Um, there's a neat, neat illustration of this. If you would turn to the Old Testament over in the book of 2 Kings chapter 13. And it's kind of a, a cool illustration of what it is and what a difference it makes to serve the Lord passionately. You know, I see some people in the ministry and I just see, man, they are on fire. And it's just so awesome to watch them burn. It is so cool. And I see others and I think, man, I don't know. <laughs> you know, you want to kind of slap them. Hey, wake up, man. You're serving the Lord. Do this with all your might. You're, you're a Christian, and do that with all your might. Look what we read here in Second Kings 13. It says in verse 14 that Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. And then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Elisha was a great prophet of God. Uh, he was different from Elijah in the fact that he actually was a friend to the governors, to the kings, to those who were in positions of politics. He was actually a friend to them. And, you know, when Elisha was about to die, um, the king, Joash, he comes and he says, oh, man, there goes our army. <laughs> That's how much of a difference Elisha made. Elisha was able to discern what the kings of Syria were saying in their quiet closets because the Lord would show him what they were saying. Elisha was a great man who made a great difference. The king knew it. He knew what God could do through this man. He knew it. But look what happens. It says in verse 15, And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. And so he took himself a bow and some arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. And so he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the east window. And he opened it. And then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. The Syrians at that time were the arch enemy. They were the Achilles you know, tendon. They were the weakness, the, the opposition of Israel. And so Elisha, 
You know, one of the cool, cool things about the prophets of the Old Testament is they were kind of weird, you know. They were funny, man. The things that they did, you know. I mean, it's just kind of... Anyways, you've got to read it. And so he says, okay, open the window. He gets the arrow. He puts his hands over him. He's all shooting. And he's communicating to him basically that what I'm talking about now is the context of victory. That I want you, that God wants you to strike the enemies. And he wants to give you a great victory. With that arrow, and then with that arrow shot towards the east, God was communicating him to that, to him that. And so in verse 18, though, look what happens. He said, take the arrows. And so he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. And so he struck it three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. And he said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. And so you're like, well, what does that mean? God said to uh, Elisha, tell Joash to take some arrows and, and strike the ground. I want you to hit the ground. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm just absolutely sure that this is what happened. King Joash is saying, this guy is weird. <laughs> You know, here he is, he's on his deathbed, maybe he's losing his mind. I could see maybe shooting an arrow out the window, but why does he want me to take an arrow and to strike the ground? And so you know what he did? He did it flippantly. He did it like, okay, compliantly, I'll do it. He takes an arrow and he just goes like this, you know, hits it a few times and he says, come on, you know, this is weird. And I know for sure that the Lord was speaking to this king, but this king was not listening. Because Elisha told him, strike the ground. And with passion, he should have struck that ground. Elisha says, you should have at least done it five times. Because then you would have destroyed the Syrians. But you, because you were lazy, you because you were casual, you because you took everything so light and you didn't really believe in the word of the Lord, just kind of hit it a few times. And you missed out on the victory that God wanted to give. And I think for us as Christians, you know, I I wonder sometimes, you guys, I really, really wonder, man, are these people, am I, are, are we taking these things seriously? Are we really taking these things seriously? Are we serving the Lord fervently? Are we doing this passionately? I mean, how about your prayer life? If I could just ask for a second, how is your prayer life? You know, if you could describe your prayer life, would you say it's more like, you know, hit a couple of arrows on the ground? Is that your prayer life? Or would you say your prayer life is you get those arrows and you're bam, you are fighting in your prayers. You're weeping, you're crying, you are crying out. Well, that's what the Lord's talking about. If you just hit it a few times, don't scratch your head and wonder why things are not happening. You see, all these things in our life are so important. And back in Romans, the Lord says, listen, man, I want you guys to serve and to do these things, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. The Greek word is really boiling over. It's boiling over. That's the Greek word. A spirit that's boiling over. And that doesn't mean you're out of control. It just means that you are hot for heaven. 
And that's what the Lord wants for our life. In Hebrews 6, 11 and 12, it says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. See, there needs to be that diligence, man. If you find yourself getting sluggish, God says, no, don't do that, man. You need to emulate the the saints of the Old Testament who through faith and endurance inherited the promises. You see, we need to do this whole thing with diligence and obedience. The Bible says in Acts 18.25 that Apollos was fervent in spirit. And, you know, you read that in Acts, and it's kind of interesting because that was before he even knew the whole truth of the cross of Jesus Christ. Before he even knew that God had died for him, he was fervent in spirit. How much more so should we be fervent in spirit now that we know the whole truth that Jesus Christ has died for me and died for you and died for them? And without him... They will perish. You see, we need to know these things and we need to live these things out loud. You know, one last thing in closing. I think it's important to note that the word that Paul uses here for serving is the Greek word duleo, which refers to the service of a bond slave whose very reason for existence is to do the master's will. You know, today in the shepherd school, we're going to talk about suffering as a servant. And, you know, there are some guys, and unfortunately, there are some gals, and there are some Christians, unfortunately, who aren't really understanding the call and the sacrifices of the ministry. And Paul the Apostle, when you look at his life, he just did so much. He went through so much fastings often, sleepless nights, the burdens that were upon his heart constantly all the things that he went through. And what do we do? We get a little, you know, a little flick of the finger from the enemy. There we are, you know, on the coach with the couch with our thumb in our mouth, you know, crying, oh, God, help me, I can't go on. (laughs) And the Lord's saying, man, uh, let me just show you a little bit about what Paul went through, okay? Homeboy was in prison all the time. He was constantly beaten, constantly flogged constantly opposed he was a walking scar from head to toe physically he was all jacked up did that stop him not for a second it didn't and for us i think we need to have that same resilience who are we serving here you guys we are serving the living god and we need to remember that he will by his spirit touch your heart if you're open and he'll change your life he will enable you He will empower you and me to do the things that he wants us to do. I pray that God would help us to love and that God would help us to live for the family, to live a life of humility and to live a life that's lived zealously. Really what we find in the end is a life of joy. You know, the kids taught me this and I think it's so cool. Have you heard that acronym for joy? J-O-Y? The J stands for who? Jesus. The O stands for who? Others. And the Y stands for who? Yourself. Who comes first? Who comes second? Who comes dead last?
yourself. Let's live that, you guys. Father, we thank you so much for your word and for your love. And Lord, just the clear calling uh, for us as Christians, Lord, uh, to love the family, Lord God, to prefer others, honor others better than ourselves, Lord God, and to do so with zeal. Lord, I just thank you so much for my brothers and my sisters here, Lord, and I pray that even if they are going through hard times, Lord God, that they would cling to the cross, that they would cling to that cross. I know it's hard, but Lord, that's our calling. And so when these things come our way, whatever it might be, I pray, Lord God, that that would even be fuel to serve you with a greater fire. Lord, please, let us be like Paul. Let us be like Jesus. And to serve you, Lord God, in all these sufferings. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Lord, do a work in this church. Do a work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.